Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Corey Hepler for the Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast. I am your fantastic invisible host. <laughs> Alongside with me is my co-host, Jared Gifford, the creator and writer of Darren, Captain of the Stars. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. And we are being graced with the presence of Derek Gifford. Derek, how the hell are you? Good. That's, I'm doing fantastic. Now, we've been doing some podcasts the past couple of times about some creators that mean a lot to us, and one that we wanted to discuss tonight is Todd McFarlane. And to start off, Todd McFarlane, to me, is someone who's not only revolutionized what I consider the underground gothic genre of comics with his spawn but also he's the kind of guy where he's more than approachable and he'll mm -hmm. talk to you about anything um aside from his comic oh, and he loves and, his fans and he's just the type of person that you want in the comic industry because that's the type of person that fans like us look up to oh yeah now first off to, to bring up how Todd McFarlane came about. Um, he grew up, like most of us, loving comics. Well, interestingly enough, uh, one thing I do know for sure is that he, he was aware about, uh, aware about comics, but he, um, and he always talks about this in his interviews, mm -hmm. is that he was kind of a late bloomer to comics. As he said that he, um, he knew about comics, but he didn't read a whole lot of comics until he was 15. But then when he was 15, he said he got bit by the comic bug, and he just kept buying all sorts of comics all the time. Oh, I can relate, because yeah. I'm kind of the same boat. I mean, I wasn't until my, until my mid-teens before I really discovered comic books. Yeah. Uh, well, we were aware of them, because like I said, even when we were kids, we discussed this before, even when we were kids, we, we had several comic books we'd read, but we never were, like, comic book fans until we were in well, our mid-teens. We well, as kids, we were not eminent um, readers. We were, you know, we were the type of kids that we were playing outside with our friends, playing mm -hmm. soldier, pirates. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, we were rarely inside the house so we weren't really adamant readers as kids yeah yeah i actually started um collecting comics with the with the archie series and what really got me to mm -hmm. start getting into comics even more is if you remember mm -hmm. um marvel had started coming out with their trading cards oh uh, yes i remember that because uh, we, we, we used to get a few of those but then i also remember um there were several story arcs that had uh, got got us involved in, in, in reading a whole bunch of different comics. Uh, like I said, I mean, I know like uh, with uh, with Derek and I, we started out with some of the Mark Silvestri stuff, yeah. And then um, and then and then another story arc that we ended up really liking, all three of us enjoyed and and, and read through is uh, is when Jim Lee did his run on X Men. Mm-hmm. Now, Derek as. As a lover of comics, when you think of the comic industry and how it's bloomed from its um, early beginnings, what to you stands out the most that Todd McFarlane has brought to the table? Well, now, um, I'd have to say, um, 
Uh, no, it's kind of hard to determine. Um, I would have to. Uh, I'd have to say that he he did bring in a. Um, um, in 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 the terms of like what um, like what kind of like what um, uh, Frank Miller did with uh, Batman, you know, kind of make it uh, darker and stuff. Um, because when I was first getting into comic books, um, it was also during um, Todd McFarlane's um, when he was doing Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, and, we, you and I both got into it about the same time. Yeah, and so um, during the, the uh, on the uh, the, the Spider Man run, and it was. Uh, yeah, when he uh, you know, it was um, about a year or so after he um, after he uh, went from the red suit to the black suit. Yeah. And then yeah, so I was I was um, in comic books when I when I um, when the whole uh, Venom um, story arc started um, happening. Oh yeah, okay. and then he just barely got back into his uh, regular colored suit. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, he, um, and in, in my in my opinion, um, he did with um, he basically did with uh, Spider Man because Spider Man's also one of my most uh, favorite characters, and it was because of, of the Todd McFarlane run. During the Todd McFarlane run, when I was first getting into comics, and um, yeah, and then um, I really got into Spider Man during that time, and so um, so um, in my opinion, um, I believe Todd McFarlane did with Spider Man what. Um, what Frank Miller did with Batman. Yeah, he nice. reinvigorated the character, made him better, actually made him exciting again. Because the thing was, um, and a lot of people don't realize this, but if you go and look back in the numbers, it, it all adds up. But it was before Todd McFarlane came on to Spider-Man, Spider-Man was a floundering book. It wasn't actually doing that well. Their top seller at the time was actually the X-Men. The thing was, things like a lot of people don't realize was in the late 80s, early 90s, Books like Spider-Man, The Avengers, even Captain America and the Hulk, they weren't actually doing that well. They, they actually were underselling. And uh, what happened was Todd McFarlane came in, brought a whole new voice to Spider-Man, and, and a lot of people were digging it, especially people our age. Yeah. And, um, and then what happened was uh, then Spider-Man went and sold uh, 2.5 million copies. Now, what, what do you think was running through Todd McFarlane's mind when he saw the low numbers and he thought, maybe I could bring some excitement back to Marvel that it's lost? I don't think he was actually thinking that. I think in terms of the way Todd McFarlane thinks, especially in the way he does his interviews, I think Todd McFarlane just thinks, all right, this character I just find to be boring. How do I make him more exciting? I really think that's as far ahead as Todd McFarlane thought. Was now, how do I make this character more exciting? And I love what he did because because got to acknowledge a lot of the things he did with Spider Man were awesome. He he actually changed the length of the eyes because if, it, if people remember prior to Todd McFarlane's uh, the eyes on Spidey's costume were kind of small. Yeah, they were. And then he widened them. Um, Another thing he another thing he did was he actually changed the webbing. I love how he changed the webbing because what happened was the webbing and and uh, and, and Todd McFarlane explains the webbing beforehand was kind of I mean it worked in some ways and it worked and uh, didn't work in others because like this whole thing like when he would do his stuff on the side it was just basically like almost kind of like this small little 
uh, small little thread with like crisscrosses in it. Yeah. Um, but he said it would work if we if you did something to the side or or were down or up or something. But he said if he was shooting the webbing towards the towards the panel, it would do this weird circular thing and it wouldn't look that great. It would look kind of stupid. True. Um, so what Todd McFarlane did was he. Um, he said he, he he created what hilariously enough it was a joke at first, but then he just he just owned the title. He he created what he called the spaghetti webbing. Yeah. Because what happened was um, um, he he did that webbing and it looked more organic because he said he had this whole thing that the way Spidey's he, the way he thought of it the way Spidey's web shooter would work was that all the components would kind of. Um, would kind of come together and then shoot out through these teeny little holes, you know, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, and and then it would work more like a kind of like um, this organic kind of goo, um, and and I like that, and it actually made more sense, um, and uh, uh, and, um, and that's what I'm saying. Is and the funny thing is, is like. The editors at the time and the big bosses over at Marvel, they would always bring Todd McFarlane to a meeting. He said it always happened every single meeting. They keep they kept telling him, "It's like Todd, you gotta get rid of that spaghetti webbing." <laughs> and uh, and then oh, and all that did was hilariously. Most other people were like, "Oh, okay, I'll go and change it." No, Todd McFarlane it totally inspired him because then he was like, "Oh, it's got a name." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's what what's once you give something a name, it's over. That well that's the thing. Yeah. Don't you, you uh, okay. just yeah. Well, well it, it's kind of like this. Okay, cuz I mean, I'm a guitar player. So, yeah. you know, so I I general I um I relate um mm -hmm. more with music than I do anything else. Yeah. But um the, the, but the thing is is like it's it's kind of like it's kind of like what happened with the uh the metal genre. Okay, so the thing is is like okay, so you know, everybody, you know, to make a long story short, um, when Black Sabbath first came out, well, they, you know, there was no word, there was no term for the type of music they were playing. Yeah. They called it progressive blues. Yeah. Basically, it was, it was, it was bluesy. It was just basically a bluesy type tone, just played, um, just, just played harder. Yeah, and the, faster. In pretty fact, much. in fact, yeah. the, um, that, that's pretty much, yeah. pretty much where, where the roots of metal come from. Yeah. Now, now, um, but what happened is when the music industry tried to get rid of, because, you know, after Black Sabbath, then you had other bands come out with the same type of sounds. And, yeah. You know, um, so, um, things like that. So, um, basically, the, the music industry basically, in, in a way, ended up creating a new genre by trying to destroy that type of music, so, what they, so they gave it the term heavy metal because that's what they said it sounded like. It just yeah. they, they said it didn't sound like music; it just sounded like a bunch of people. You know, it just sounded like if you walked into a metal shop. That's what it sounded like to them. Huh? So yeah, you know, with the grinders going, and you know, yeah, no, no term, no nothing. It just sounded like just a noisy metal shop. <laughs> so that's where the term heavy metal stemmed from. That's funny. But and once they gave it a name. Mm. That's when it exploded, and you're and you're and you're paralleling that to, uh, to Parallel, John, parallel uh, I'm paralleling that to um, when when, 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 when Todd, Todd McFarlane started dubbing it the spaghetti webbing. Yes, because they gave it a name. Once you give something, 
like it or not, once you give something a na a new thing a name, mm -hmm. you're never gonna get rid of it. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. And Todd ran with it is what I kind of like with that. It's because that other people would have considered that an insult, and other people, okay? uh, and then other people would have considered that an insult, and other people would have uh, basically um, used that as an excuse to basically like say. Oh hey, um, you know, you, you, oh hey, uh, that's you know, uh, you're right. I, I need to go and change that. I need to go back to status quo. I mean, what I love about what Todd McFarlane did, what I love about what Todd McFarlane did was that Todd McFarlane basically heard the term spaghetti webbing, and then he's like, he's like, okay, it's the spaghetti webbing. No, it's interesting. It's it's these innovative creators hmm. that rub against the grain yeah. that bring out newness and they bring out something in other creators as well because when Todd McFarlane started bringing out these new creations and eventually he brought out Spawn and these other beautiful creations that he made, um, it gave other creators basically the balls to be like, oh, okay, yeah. I can give my creations newness and give them kind of weird, quirky um, things for my mm -hmm. comic, and now that that's accepted, this will be accepted as well. So it gave mm -hmm. new creators, like I said, the balls mm -hmm. to um, warp and twist their comics in such a way yeah. that Marvel had to just basically own up to the idea or else they knew that those creators were going to leave and their company was going to go to crap. Well, actually, they didn't. They didn't know that um, at first because that's the reason why they called them back later. Because mm -hmm. here's the here's the thing, and, and this is part of an interesting part of the whole image uh, thing story, is uh, like when when image when the founders initially left and created their own company, it was because Marvel basically um, was telling him, "No, you have to do this and this and this and this and this," and uh, um, and and then uh, and and then when they. Uh, you know, um, and then when they said that they were going to go off and form their own company, no, the, their contemporaries, their their old editors, and all these other people were all telling them, "You guys are going to last six months, and then you're coming back here." Mm -hmm. That's what they told them. They said, "You're going to do six months, and then you're coming back here." Well, about five years later, uh, coming about the time about 1996, because mm -hmm. um, they they founded Image in December of '91. And then they started coming out with the first comic books in '92, mm -hmm. um, and then they said about it was about five years after about 1996 that uh, what had happened was Marvel actually came back to them. Marvel actually went to them and said, "Oh, hey, would you guys mind maybe partnering up with us and uh, and fixing these characters that we think are broken?" Um, most of the other partners basically said no. Todd McFarlane said no. Jim Valentino said no. So did Eric Larson, Mark Silvestri. But um, mm -hmm. but both Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld said yes. They're like, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and uh, and what happened was they said it was actually handled through the big, big, big upper management. There's, it wasn't even handled through editorial, the regular editorial. The, the big... The big wigs over at Marvel yeah. um, brought them back. And then they basically, what they did was they plopped a couple of comics on the counter and basically said, these are the characters we think are broken. You guys take whichever characters you want and uh, uh, do whatever you see fit to make these characters better. And then that's when you actually got um, both Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld doing stuff like, like, um, like, uh, like, uh, 
Um, Jim Lee uh, redid the Fantastic Four. He did Iron Man. Yeah. Um, it, it did uh, it, it did several other things that were really awesome. Part of the horror Heroes Were Born thing they were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, Rob Liefeld, he took on the Avengers. He uh, he um, he did uh, Captain America. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and basically, what I like what how Jim Lee had put it in an interview. He said it was kind of like with him and Rob. They basically they when they were going through this character, it was kind of like a fantasy football draft. <laughs> um, and anyway, um, so but what I'm saying is, Marvel came to them, and and what I'm saying is, is that's the whole thing is that they were predicting that they were gonna be done in six months, and then Marvel came coming back, came crawling back to them. So that's the whole thing is that. Um, and, and and so so yeah, that's the whole thing is that uh, you know um, so they were trying to put all these edicts on guys like like McFarlane back in the day when they were working there because mm-hmm. a lot of the times they kept trying to tell they said they kept pulling McFarlane into meetings and basically telling him you got to get rid of the spaghetti webbing these these stories you're writing are too dark um, you know they they tell them that uh, they tell them that 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 uh, that you know. Um, you got to change Venom because he's scaring small children or something. <laughs> now, what I found quite interesting about how um, Todd McFarlane decided to do Venom is mm-hmm. the fact that he tackled him in much of the same way that he tackled Spawn and the rest of them. Yeah. He wanted to make him darker because yeah. here's the thing. And a lot of people had to just come to the fact that villains are supposed to be dark. They're supposed yeah. to be sinister. They're supposed to be scary because they're the opposite oh. of the yeah. of the good guys. So if you think about it, yeah. had you gotten like Superman or something like that and made Zod a lot scarier, a lot more sinister yeah. looking, I can guarantee you Spider-Man would have sold more comics than he did because... When you think of evil, you don't think of this prancing pony, you know, yeah. trying to sell you well, a vacuum. Well, again, again, yeah, yeah <laughs> which actually brings up a point. Um, the reason why um, during the late 90s and early 2000s, because I fell away from comics for quite a few years. Because, yeah. yeah. Because it did get to the point where you, you almost didn't know the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. And I that mean, was always so confusing. Uh, yeah, well, like in the late 90s. All of a sudden, they started having the world. Let's make the good guys have all these mental issues. <laughs> okay, and then it's like, and, and then and then and then it gets it gets it got to the point, and this is why I stopped. Sad, reading. Sadly, you can yeah. thank Alan Moore for that. Well, you know, we can thank Alan Moore for a lot of things, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But the point, the point is, the point, the point is that I'm making is that somehow. Somehow it got to the point where, where when it got to the point where I felt that the that the the bad guy had totally together than the good guy did. Yeah. And at least the bad guy had a plan. Uh huh. It's all. I also was almost like, I might as well take the bad guy's side. Yeah, because I mean, he's, he's more got, interesting. Well, he's got it together. He uh-huh. knows what he wants. The good guy's just sitting all over. He's his mind's all over the place. He has no idea what what the hell he's doing with himself. Mm hmm. You know, and it's like, okay, you know, and at that point, at that point, I was, um, I was done. I got so, so I ended up leaving a bitter taste in my mouth with comic books. So, you know, for, so, I mean, there was a good, 
a good ten years. I I did not read mm-hmm. comic books. You and you and that. you and I you and I kind of it's funny. You said because that's the funny thing is that uh, I, I can even go back in that timeline. You and I fell away from comics about the same time because we started getting sick and tired of stuff like that. And then that's interesting enough when we started getting into things like anime and manga. Yeah. Um, and uh, and anyway, we came back to it about ten years later because um, because one of our friends had um, um, and, and he's actually been on this podcast before. It was our friend Maury. Mm-hmm. Um, he had actually uh, got us back into comics because he started uh, getting you and I back into like some of that Green Lantern stuff. Right. <laughs> See, and, and with me, yeah, all throughout my teenage years, I had never really stopped reading comics. It was more of a sparsity. I'd buy a comic here and there, but my love for comics never really, like, stopped. It was more of the fact that I was more interested, like what Derek said, Mm -hmm. I was more interested in the villain because not only did they have it more together, the villain actually was better to read. Mm -hmm. And so I would go for story arcs, um, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, stuff like that, where the villain was getting basically more attention than the good guy because the good guy was so freaking retarded writ writingly that it's just like why would I want to read a superhero who doesn't know what the hell they're doing and the bad guy's just like ha 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 f you it, it got boring for me mm-hmm. just like you said yeah, I think it's just comic- like and it's just like you stop reading the comics because you're like. The good guy is supposed to be the one to have it all together, and the yeah. bad guy is supposed to be all over the place and befuddled and everything like that. And it's just like, where the hell did it go wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Like, I meant it's like, like, like the, you know, the bad guy knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly. He had, he had, a, he had a plan in place. You know, and the good guy, it was almost like the good guy was just kind of falling into this thing. <laughs> you know? And the good guy had no idea what to do with it. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like, but I mean, and the, and the thing is, and it's probably also because I can't, um, in a way, in a way, I can't relate because I mean, in a way, in a way, you know, you do, you do want to give your characters some real life, you know, you don't, you, you got to make some them relatable, relatable yeah. some, somewhat. But see, yeah. I, I absolutely cannot relate to people who are completely unfocused, who have, who allow their, you know, because see, I'm the type of person that okay. You know, I've had things happen to me in my past. I've had things and things happen to me in my childhood that could that could make a therapist's career. Exactly. If you know, but the point is, is I'm I'm still the type of person that I am not going to allow my past to dictate my future. Yeah. Okay. I am not going to allow the fact that you know. Yeah, I got problems. Everybody's got problems. But the point is, is you know. The thing is, is, you know, um, I have to say, you know, one of the best lines um, came, you know, um, from the movie of um, Balboa. Yeah. You know, when he's talking to his son. Okay, you know, it's like I said, you know, this life is going to beat you down to your knees and will keep you there if you let it. Yeah. But the point is, it's not how hard you can hit, it's how hard can you get hit, get back up, and keep moving forward. True. You know, so and that's just how I am. I am naturally a, a, a type of person that I tr- truly b- believe the, the saying in my life is what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have too many people nowadays where what, what didn't kill them might as well have. Yeah. Well, see, and I, I totally agree with you. See, you know, I love the fact, because I, and for those who don't know, that quote's like straight from Frederick Nietzsche. 
And uh, and I totally agree with that. I mean, that's the whole thing, is that, yeah, you know, problems are going to happen. And I'm not saying that it's not a good idea to maybe try to prevent them, but if they can't be prevented, you know, don't let that become something that's going to traumatize you for life. True, you know? because then you're not going to have the type of life that you wanted in the first place. Yeah, well, well then you're allowing that thing to control you. You're allowing that thing to basically... Um, overshadow like um, like everything good that could be in your life. The whole thing is is that yes, it's a problem, and 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 you're most likely in some cases, especially if it's very traumatic, you're not ever going to get over it. However, you don't keep that from letting you from allowing you to move forward. True. Now, when you guys, uh, I'm going to ask you both this question, and you can answer individually. Yeah. What was one comic, or it could be a couple of comics, that have gotten you through some tough times where you thought, well, I don't think anybody feels the way I feel about this certain situation, and you, you picked up this comic, and you read it, and you're like, wow, someone does understand. That's, a, that's an interesting one. So many good ones, but uh, let me think. Now, unfortunately for me, um, unfortunately for me, um, like I said, as much as I, I, I love I love comics and stuff, um, uh, I've always just read comics, just like you know, because I need a break from reality for a minute. You know, <laughs> haven't like, we all? It's like, it's, like, it's like okay, okay. You know what? Life is stressing me out at the moment. I need a break. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, but but. But but um, no. But as far as um, unfortunately, um, I I personally cannot say that I actually read a uh, a comic book story that that pushed me out of, of a bad situation. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that was always music. Yeah, um, I've always felt more relatable to um, to the lyrics of a song than. Um, than a story in a comic. Now, not the, not the fact that I like music more than comic books. What I'm just indicating is the fact that, um, to me, comics is for me is like when I watch TV or watch a movie. Yeah. It's just it's just my break. Uh huh. It's, Something to it's, kill it's, the time. It's the fact that you know, I've been thinking too much. Too much crap has happened throughout the day. I need a break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need a, I need a break for a minute. And that no. makes sense. Okay, that that's for me. That was that, that was comic what comic books did for me. There were a lot of really good comic book stories, and, and granted, this is technically a movie, but it's still comic book based, and so I'm going to use this as a reference. Go ahead. Um, one that I think had a profound impact on me, uh, and especially didn't happen until after um, uh, until after my dad had died, was um, it was Superman the movie. And I was, um, and once again, as a kid, I used to watch it, but it used to have a whole different meaning for me. But now it has a different meaning for me uh, ever since my dad died, because what happened was I, I would watch it. And one thing that always had a profound impact on me to this day is um, after his father had a heart attack, which, you know, as you know, Derek and I's father died the same way. Mm -hmm. um, that had a profound impact on me, and then I watched when they were at the funeral, and this has stuck with me to this day, and I'll always remember it. Um, uh, Superman, or Clark, Clark is with his mother, and, and he says to her, all those things I can do, all those powers, and I couldn't even save him. It... 
it brings to light the fact that um, when Derek said that comics um, have this relatability towards life, you really have to give it to the creators such as Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld and Mark Silvestri. They bring real-life situations that everybody goes through and makes their characters go through them, not only just for the relatability of it all, but the fact that they understand who's going to be reading these comics, and they understand that if the audience is not engaged within the story, no matter how fantastic it's written, yeah. it's not going to be bought. And so when you have, like, the death of Superman, or you have the death of Uncle Ben, yeah. because the guy was a jackass, yeah. um, and then you look at people who've lost someone, or you look at someone... Mm-hmm who's had to overcome insurmountable odds just to get to the next step in life and it's just beating them down, you yeah. you tend to realize that comic books aren't just, you know, an entertainment medium. They really are um, a focus to yeah. make people realize that yeah. life can get better and it's worth going through these hard times because... Yeah. There is that silver lining, mm-hmm. and it might be a character that's not not uh, fictional. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that they're getting through it that gives us hope to oh well we can get through it as well because they did. Well, exactly. And I like the fact that you bring that up. I like the fact that you bring that up. And interesting enough, actually, I I think I know one that actually did have an impact on you. Um, uh, when I think about it, Derek mm-hmm. is um, because this was something that we also had read shortly after uh. Uh, after Dad had died, right. um, you remember that Spider-Man story about where he um, where he's just kind of cleaning up these the different crimes happening throughout the night, but in it he has a reminiscence about um, uh, or reminisces about um, when his uncle Ben had died. Yeah, yeah, it was the uh, night before the uh, it was the night before the anniversary. Of, yeah, uh, his uncle's death, where they go visit his grave. Yeah, I yeah. remember that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and like I said, it wasn't like a big, exciting um, kind of. Well, no, but I remember that that um, one actually had an impact on us because we'd read that shortly after Dad had died. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that did. That did um, yeah, so that was. Um, yeah, can't believe I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that one actually. Um, yeah. That 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 was that was a story arc that hit close to home when I read that one. Now, um, we all go through things in life that we don't necessarily want to go through. Yeah. Um, whether it be a new job, whether it be someone passing, whether it be <laughs> we find a new girlfriend because the other one's just psychotic. <laughs> um, what, what real life situation have you seen in a comic that you've gone through personally that you feel was spot on in a comic like i said there's so many like i said one one is that that's a well like i said as i said before when it was like super in the movie the scene i just told you about yeah that hit close to home mm-hmm. because it was very similar to my situation um and uh, but then there was other then there was other comic book stories that i could relate to where it was kind of sad and, and i could relate to it in a way um you know, um, there was, once again, actually, this was a Superman story. It was one of the John Byrne Superman stories. Yeah. And, um, and it actually ended really sad. Uh, uh, what happened was, um, there was this, uh, there was this monkey, and I forget his name, um, 
but uh, they were doing experiments on him. And, uh, and what happened was, in the experiment, it changed him into this, like, really large, almost King Kong, King Kong-sized ape. Uh-huh. Anyway, what happened was that people were, you know, um, scared, naturally. And what happened was they found out that this monkey didn't really want to hurt anybody. He was just scared, and it was trying to get away from people. But anyway... When you're that yeah. big, you're going to break a few buildings. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then like, what get happened, the hell away from yeah, me. I want a banana split. Yeah, well, and then what's, what's going to happen? <laughs> it's like... like, like when all these, all, these, oh. with all these ships and things trying mm-hmm. to shoot at it and hurt it, of course the monkey's going to flip out. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, you're trying like to Godzilla. hurt it. Kind of like Godzilla. Okay. Yeah. How do you know Godzilla was actually trying to destroy Tokyo? Maybe you know, they were just pissing him off. You know, it could have just been that he was trying to pass through. Yeah. You know, he act, you know, his tail, you know, you know that that big damn tail swinging around. Yeah. Just happened to hit a few buildings because they happened to be in the way, and then people freak out and piss him off. But anyway, but anyway, back to the story and the reason why this had an impact on me. Anyway, what happens is uh, eventually they're able to find a way to get the monkey shrunk uh, back to normal size. But unfortunately, what happens is. The monkey's already been mortally wounded by the military by this point. By the time Superman gets him back to real size, the monkey's dying. And, 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 and it's sad because what happens is, is that this comic book ends with, with Superman basically cradling sort of the dead body of the monkey in his arms. And, and it, was, it was profound to me on this one because the thing is, is that what, what I like in the story is basically they tried to kill something because it was different. Yeah. And and the thing was is that with me that hit close to home because of like a lot of people used to make fun of me back in school because I was different, and so that was a really profound story to me because I was like okay this I can totally relate to this because I know how people can be hurtful and mean to things that are different, and and, and it's never changed I mean, yeah, and that's the whole thing I mean and, and and the point is is that has never changed I mean people nowadays. Preach, you know they always preach tolerance and. Well, and I think so. Oh, one of the reasons. Let me finish. No, sorry. Let me finish. Um, I'm sorry, but um, yeah, you know, and, and and the point is, is you know, you know, the fact is, is you can argue with me all you want. Cool. Most most people that I have ever met that pe- that preach tolerance are usually the most intolerant bastards I've ever met in my life. This is true. <laughs> and and um, well, and back on that subject, you know. Um, you know, it's, it just brings me back to, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the whole song from Rush, you know, conform or be cast out. You know, that unfortunately, that's... Oh, well, uh, subdivisions. Yes, yes. Yeah. The song subdivisions. You know, it's, unfortunately, that's how society's always been, and that's the way society will always will be, regardless how much they try to change that. Oh, yeah. Whatever Truth. the new status quo is, is what they will try to conform even people tolerance to. Tolerance has turned into that. You know, basically, you either conform with tolerance or be cast out. And uh, I, I agree with you, and the worst part about tolerance is the fact that there's still the underlining hate. We, as a society, need to get past the tolerance stage yeah. and get to the acceptance stage. I totally agree on that. That's the, big, that's the biggest problem right there, as you said, as mm-hmm. you pointed out, is that what they're preaching is tolerance. They're not preaching acceptance. Well, and, you know what the, the thing is? Is, is we don't need, you know, the whole tolerance thing. That's the wrong direction to, to approach. Do you know if everybody realized, if everybody just accepted, just accepted, okay, you know, how do, how do I put this? 
Imagine how fast people would change if they actually accepted what how things actually are. True. No. It, it would change the norm to a different, better norm. And I look at it this way. It's okay to not accept something and not be an asshole about it. Well, no, no, but the whole point, the whole point is, is it, it doesn't, you know, uh, it just, it's just based on, um, you know, you know, it's like, it's like, look, look's the thing. You can either accept, accept it or, den or, or try to completely deny it. Well, this is the whole point. What happens to uh, most most um, okay? Let's let's take let's take people who've had abusive fathers. Yeah. Okay. You know, and unfortunately, what happens is you know the, the kid who had the abusive father. I mean, this this doesn't always. There's always exceptions to the rule. Yeah. You know, and and again, if you really look at it yeah. figuratively, I mean, it, it's a more of a fifty-fifty aspect. But there's still a lot of people out there who will beat their wife and kids and claim that they're nothing like their father. Yeah, when they're mm. when they're the exact well, the product is, of their father. There is so much denial that they they don't see that they are repeating the exact same pattern. Yeah. So that's that's what I mean by accept. You know, accept if you know if if you accept and see what actually is happening, and then and then not put yourself in denial about it. Yeah. If you accept the fact that you have these flaws then you'll be more apt to not act on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I I totally agree with you because I believe that when we, as a society, even as individuals, let's go with individuals yeah. first. Yeah. If we can learn to accept not only the stuff that we love about ourselves, but the stuff that are the flaws, the stuff that we hate about ourselves, but the yeah. fact that, you know what, we have this, it sucks, it's irritating as fuck, but we can... Learn to deal with it. Yeah. Well, see, well, 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 the point, and, and the point is, is and, and then you have also the danger of people going to the next extreme. True. Now, you can accept that you have these flaws, uh -huh. but then, then at this point, then at, at that juncture, you have you have you have two choices from that juncture. Yeah. Once you accept that th these flaws exist, then you have two choices from that point. Either you can start using it as an excuse and keep on doing it. Yeah. Or, or at that point, you can you, you can, can you can then choose you can then choose not to do the things that you know are bad. Yeah, or or you can choose that now now that you see these flaws about yourself. Yeah. Instead of denying them, now you see these flaws about yourself. Now you can choose not to act on them. Exactly. So you're talking about accountability. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Basically, uh, well, it all comes down to accountability. Well, Nobody these days understands yeah. what even what accountability is because no one's taking accountability for no, their actions. They're it's always, always someone else's fault. They're always blaming someone else instead what? of saying, "Okay, I'm the reason that this again, happened." Okay, again, yeah. then again. this is why I need to change this, be so it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Again, it takes me to my point. It takes me to my point um, earlier. What I said. I've had things happen to me in my childhood that would make a therapist's career. But the mm. point is, is I can mm. live myself. I can. I can be an alcoholic, um, drug myself up to try to forget these things, you know, because even though they do come back and haunt me sometimes and I don't like it, but the point is, is I can either, um, and I can, or, and I can pretty much put myself and live my, live in complete and absolute misery for the rest of my life and always blame my childhood for it. Yeah. Or, 
you know, or I can choose that, okay, this is what, this, this, terrible, thi this terrible thing had happened to me. Um, there's nothing I can do about it now, so I keep moving forward. Oh, well, as I said, uh, and I want to take this opportunity to, um, it, um, <laughs> I want to take this opportunity to sort of throw it back to Todd McFarlane, but he actually had a lot of stories that were about that kind of thing, about basically accepting, uh, about acceptance and how people can basically be dicks to each other. Um, a lot of, you see a lot of that theme in his Spawn comics. In his mm -hmm. Spawn comics, especially if you read some of the earlier ones, I mean, there was a lot of things where he basically showed how people could be intolerant to each other. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, you know, and it's so funny. Actually, in fact, what's funny is in an interview, he actually said that uh, the funny thing was, is like, because uh, a lot of people seem to forget this. They always seem to forget this. But Spawn is a black superhero. Mm -hmm. A lot of people seem to forget that because he was wearing the full body costume. Yeah. But the thing is, they always seem to forget that he was, he, he, he's a black man. And, and funny, what's funny is he said that um, sometimes he'll go to like some conventions, um, like in the Deep South, mm -hmm. and he'll get like these, these skinhead guys coming up to him, and they'll tell him like how they love his Spawn character and how, uh, how great he is and everything. And and he uh, and he said he's always quick to remind. He's like, you do know he's a black man, right? <laughs> um, you know, and uh, and that's and that's the funny thing about it. And, and but I said he was always he was always tackling those sort of issues with uh, with with his character, whatever he was doing. In fact, he said he had a story, uh, and this was when he because um, if you remember the timeline, um, Todd McFarlane um, did the art for Amazing Spider-Man for several years. And, yeah. he, and he co-created co a lot of stuff with uh, Dave Michelini, who was the writer. Yes, he did. Um, but then what happened was he wanted to go and do his own thing, um, and then what happened was Eric Larson took over Amazing Spider-Man mm -hmm. uh, as doing the art. And uh, and then Todd McFarlane actually was offered a title that was just called Spider-Man. Yeah. And he got to not only do the art, but he also got to write it as well. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um... When he when he did that, he said that he actually had he had a script already written ready and and it was going to go. But then this was about the time they started Image, so he never actually got it got it to be in a comic. But he said that he was going to have one comic book where um, where Peter Parker is out on the streets and basically um, um, you know um, he, um, he ends up saving some person who's like some. White, uh, some, some, some like white supremacist or something, like a big white racist. Yeah. And uh, and and then they basically uh, basically say, oh hey, we're our, our, you know our race is so glad to have heroes like you on its side. And uh, he said he was going to have them like have Spider Man slam the guy against the wall, and then basically say, how do you know I'm not black underneath all this? <laughs> Um, you know, just make, just making a point. Yeah. Just the, just the whole thing that, just the whole thing is, who the hell cares, um, what 
race the person is who saved you. I just saved your ass, mm-hmm. you know. Well, uh, and so, and and and, you know, and what I'm saying is, I like that. So because Todd McFarlane, and that's what I'm saying, why I wanted to kind of toss it back to him is Todd McFarlane tackled a lot of issues like that in his comic book. He, he um, uh, you know, a lot of people don't give him credit, but he's one of one of the uh, one of the creators who at the time was tackling issues like racism. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but then um, you know, the thing is, is um. Yeah, this is how I look at it, okay? Because if you truly, really look at it, race in its... Race... Saying that there's different human races, actually, is it actually a contradictory term. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it is, because this is the whole point. If there are truly, with different races within the, um, within the human race, um, um, you know... Um, White people could not have kids with black people. Yeah. Um, Asians could not have kids. You know. Again, again, you could not. They, they, they could not. Okay. It, it's like it's like when you try to take a lion and a tiger. Mm-hmm. Now, now the thing is, is they made ligers before, but they had they had to you know do gene manipulation and all that just yeah. to get it to work. But but a t- but in the wild, a tiger and a lion cannot have can cannot have have um, have a cub together. Yeah. Okay, because their DNA is different enough that um, that it can't happen. Now the thing is, is like I said, in a lab they can make it happen mm-hmm. because they, like I said, well, they I come out that, with ligers I... before, but they were created in a lab. But I, to... I think a better example is if no, you're no, gonna no, go, no, if you're no, 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 hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. Then then you can then then you can uh, approve on if if I'm missing something. Now um, the point the point is is again. Um, so, so, so the point is, is the different races, if they have, saying that there are different races within the human race is a contradiction, is, is a contradiction in terms for the fact that no, what it is, is if you really truly look at it, um, what you're looking at is how their, how their bodies have adapted to the environment they lived in. True. Okay. This is the point. This is the point. Um. If you take let's let's say you take you take an African American, mm-hmm. um, and and he has no no white in his, in his blood. Yeah. And and uh, but but he, he he has lived here in the United States for several generations. Now you take an an actual African, who was born and raised in Africa, and has been in and their family has been in Africa for several generations. You put those two right next to each other. They're they're still going to have slightly different features because because the African American their bodies are starting to adapt to the environment of of what the United States is mm-hmm. where where the, the African their body has already been adapted to the environment that they live in exactly so that's the point so the point is is in in that case, what you're looking at is you're not looking at different races. You're just looking at different cultures and how their bodies, ad- through generations, have adapted to the environment that they're in. Now, the thing about the racism that we all can't stand is the fact that the human race as a whole really is just that. It's the human race. And I don't even like to say human race because it... It denotes and connotates that we're all running, um, running a different type of the race, which isn't true. 
we're all going for the same thing. We're all wanting to be successful. We're all wanting to be happy. So it's not necessarily a race. We're just a species who's wanting the same love and respect and success that should be given to all. I and the problem is the fact that one person or one type of race feels that um, they have it better than others, so they're going to beat down and make this quote-unquote minority feature that I feel is just crap. So they're going to make a different minority feel worse because they feel that they don't deserve the same respect and responsibilities that the others do. And I feel that's how the racism came about. And when the comic book creators started to tackle this and started to show that racism is a real thing, but also racism can be overcome by people realizing that everybody in the world has um, an opportunity to be successful and to feel loved and to feel accepted and not just tolerated. I feel that's when the comic world really kind of was thrown for a loop for the best. Yeah. And when Todd McFarlane brought out Spawn as a black character and exactly. he showed him and he showed the world that he can have the same <coughs> trials and terrors that a white person has, that a Chinese person has, that he really kind of encompassed the fact that it really doesn't matter the color of your skin or where the hell you came from. We all go through the same trials. It's just, a, it's just depicted on how we decide to deal with them and how we decide to get through them. Oh, yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. The thing is, is that, uh, you know, as, I, as we were talking about, you know, he and, um, and many of the other image uh, founders... Had had were tackling subjects that all the people were tackling at the time. Yeah, and I think that's actually what made their comics a little bit more on the timeless side than maybe what what else was going on at the time. And, and I definitely, for one, would have to say that yeah. I mean, thing is, love him or hate him, Todd McFarlane is a very smart individual, and he knows basically uh, that uh, you know um, he, he basically knows how to do business very well. I mean, because not only is he a great artist, um, but he's also a good writer. He also um, he also has uh, dipped his hands into many other industries. Yeah. Because he also has his own action figure line. Because that's the that's the interesting. How many people you know have their own action figure line unless they're companies like Hasbro or Mattel? <laughs> you know, Todd McFarlane basically decided, hey, if these people are making millions of dollars. May, uh, making making toys by making deals with people like me. Why don't I just make my own toys? <laughs> um, so so you know you gotta always give them that. And and uh, so I I, I want to well like them like yeah. like um this is the thing this is the thing like them or hate them. Yeah. Um. The point is is the guy's got great business sense and he's yeah. a freaking genius. So, so I mean yeah. that's a, that's the whole point. The whole point is you have to really look at it. You know, love them or hate them. The guy has great business sense. Oh yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. Before we uh, we're, let's uh, take the last ten minutes to at least get through this. Um. Are there any um Crazy Monkey Inc. um updates that you need to let people know about before we get to our book recommendations? Um. At the end of December, uh, is going to be 
when I'm finishing off paying for number three for Tax Cab Joe, which will be coming out next summer. And also, Sexy Zombie Hunters number one is coming out this month. Mm-hmm. So if you're into zombies, women with beautiful boobs, um, phasers, if you're into zombies getting the crap shot out of them, <laughs> then I this is right up your alley. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's what that definitely sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, uh, and then also uh, you know just the usual updates. Um, there we we've out, we've also just seen several more new pages from Furious being yes. released. They look freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Jason Tudor has uh, has sent in several updates from Vorpal. Um, yeah, uh, Vorpal number four is near yeah. completion actually. Yeah, and, uh, and and in fact, I guess he just announced a, a, a web series that he's going to be doing. Yeah, um, it should be coming out um, either the end of this month. Mm. Or the beginning of January. Yeah, and uh, so. so so yeah, we got real, tons of great stuff coming up, and and as and, and as we said, uh, very next Kickstarter up on the dockets uh, after um, after the Furious rewards are given out is will the next year will be for Darren number four. Yeah. Um <clears throat> and uh, and like I said, we've got poster prints being worked on as we speak. Um, and uh, anyway, I guess that's it for the uh, Crazy Monkey Inc. updates right now. I guess we can get into book recommendations. Well, since since I I, I would say since Derek is a guest here, um, maybe he can suggest a few books. Uh, well, uh, what I would suggest um, is the uh, the uh, series um, was the, uh, the series that actually got me back into comic books, and it's the um, it's, um, it was a Punisher, uh, the Welcome Home Frank um, story storyline. Um, so uh, for for now, I'll, I'll actually recommend that because yeah. that that was actually what got me back into comics. Are there any ten years of yeah uh, novels right now? No. Yeah, no, no novels. Okay, no. okay. Um, what, what about you, Corey? What are your recommendations? Um, recommendation for comics. I just picked up the first issue of the new story arc for Vampirella. Yeah. And freaking, besides the fact that she's freaking gorgeous as hell and she's just fantastically drawn, she's got this type of um, fighting style um, and fighting ghouls and stuff like that that is really going to give people a run for their money because she knows how to deal eloquently and not so eloquently with demons and stuff like that, yeah. and still look absolutely sexy as hell doing it. Nice. So, Vampirilla, definitely. Um, book recommendation, I'm going to have to say Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, hey, and that's a good one, <clears throat> considering, the, uh, the, the, considering the the theme we went on with the racism. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. That's good. And, it, and, it's a, and, it's a, and it's a classic novel, so yeah, definitely uh, highly recommend that. Yes. Um, now, on to you. Uh, for me, uh, well, first off, for novels, I'm going to recommend a, uh, a Mark Twain classic, uh, The Prince and the Pauper. Ah. Yeah, I love, I love this one, I, and, and I, 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 I'd read it and then seen several different iterations of it as a kid, my favorite being the Mickey Mouse one. Mm-hmm. Um, that, one that one, the movie was actually really cute. Yeah, um, but, uh, but, but, uh, but what I like about it is it's, it's a story where basically, like, you know, 
everybody always imagines this. They're like, what? What if I had that guy's life? And you actually had that. You had you had a you you had a pauper who basically pretended to be the prince. The prince pretended to have his life, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know it was one of those things that they both find out that they actually didn't have it as bad as they thought they did. Yeah, it was the whole thing of that they they really realized that the grass was not greener on the other side. It's kind of basically uh, to make a long story short. It's about you know the, yeah. the story in a, in a way is just pretty specific. Be 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 happy with what you have. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, anyway, I recommend that for novels. Yes. Um, in terms of comic books, I know you always um, have really good recommendations for comic books. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, you know the thing is, I may have I may have uh, suggested this before, and I'm probably I'm pretty sure I have. I always suggest this stuff like this, but it's just awesome. I'm in the middle. Uh, volume 2.2 of the Mice Templar. Yeah. And the Mice Templar is just awesome. You had um, just gotten that about a couple yeah. weeks ago, right? Um, actually, that was Volume 3. I always oh, like right. to keep one volume ahead. That's right. No, it was just last month that you had gotten... I, I, I got 2.2 last That's month. That's right. That's right. Um, but this month, yeah, I'd gotten Volume 3. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, no, but I'm, the, I'm halfway through Volume 2.2. Awesome story... Uh, Brian J.L. Glass has got this really great way of writing. It's very sort of modern Shakespearean, I would call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can very, you can really tell that Brian J.L. Glass is an intellectual. That he, they, you know, that that he just thinks that way, and it's just awesome. Um, anyway, yeah, highly recommend that. Uh, you know, um, de- definitely worth it. Um, and you know, and and. And also, I would suggest, you know, uh, check out his Furious stuff uh, prior to what he's doing with us. Yes. Um, definitely worth it. Now, um, Derek, I would love to thank you for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you for the insight that you brought. Yeah. Jared, as always, um, having you as a co-host is amazing because you bring a lot of um, light and knowledge to uh, what you know about the comic industry. Oh yeah, no. The funny thing is, is uh, this time, I mean, this time, this guy actually kept me kept me shut up more than usual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your older brother. It's my job. <laughs> now that's cool. Um, I have a small announcement for um, this Wednesday that I was going to throw your way. I was wanting to tackle what we what we feel. Um, comic books would be like as uh, a series or a movie and picking comic books that we enjoy that haven't yet been movies Mm -hmm. that maybe if we were to direct or write them how we would uh, bring them about and how we would envision them Mm. that's actually a good idea (laughs) and so for the next couple of days kind of think of some comics that haven't really been twisted and made into a movie or a series that you feel you would do really great at writing and directing mm-hmm. and maybe kind of give us a small synopsis of the vision that you feel the direction you would like to push it towards. That would be awesome. Because I know that there's a lot of comics that all of us have read that we're like, wouldn't it be awesome if this was a movie or a series and this is exactly how I would do it, mm-hmm. but no one's done it because for some odd reason they think it might flop. Yeah. You know? So just think about a couple ideas. Because Hollywood now has this thing about, oh, let's grab somebody who knows absolutely nothing about this series and take his take on it. 
Exactly, like Michael Bay. Oh, I mean. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, we should probably uh, probably uh, thank the audience. Childhood. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So on that note, we should probably thank the audience and get going. That's right. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. Uh, we wouldn't be doing this without you guys. As always, share us, like us, share us on Facebook, all the social medias. Tell your friends to. Listen to us, tell your grandmother, tell your dog, <laughs> you know, tell the deaf guy down the street, um, and just have a wonderful night, and we'll see you on Wednesday. <laughs>